Welcome to the Diversity and Inclusion on Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the Association of American Veterinary Medical College's Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Lisa Greenhill and I'm the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at the AAVMC. Today's show uh, is devoted to access the Access to Veterinary Care Coalition. I am delighted to welcome uh, Drs. Susan Krebsbach and Michael Blackwell to the show. This is Dr. Blackwell's second time on the podcast. So welcome back to the show. Um, so today we're going to talk a bit about the coalition. We're going to talk about um, access to veterinary care. Why um, are some? Why do some folks have ac- um, access problems? Is it cost? Is it location? Um, and we're going to talk a bit about the activities of the coalition and some of the research that, that we're going to that the coalition, which I've been a part of in the last year or so, um, what that coalition has been up to. So as is our custom on the show, I invite my guests to tell us a little bit about themselves. So Susan, why don't we get started with you? Sure, great. Thank you, Lisa. And thank you so much for inviting us to be a part of this. We really, uh, both Dr. Black and I have been real excited. Um, but I am the Executive Director for the Access to Veterinary Care Coalition. And um, I'm responsible for probably the catch-all. Um, essentially, I usually say I'm just holding on to Dr. Blackwell's, uh, 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 hanging on to his tail, and, and to his, what's the word I'm looking for here? Go tail. <laughs> hanging, hanging, tail. There you go, there you go, there you go. Um, and uh, so I'm responsible for making sure that we follow through on our responsibilities uh, as far as the survey that we're doing, this, the report that we're gonna be generating by the end of the year, um, I'm the one that coordinates a lot of the different meetings, um, making sure that we're up to that the, all the members of the coalition are up to date on all the different activities. So um, I've been very blessed to be a part of this because this is an, an air, back in 2015 is something I've always been aware of the whole access to veterinary care issue, but it's when I became really um, where it really resonated with me, and and where I felt I really wanted to do something about this 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 problem that's affecting we an estimated 25 million pets in poverty. And wow. so um, it's been a real honor to be able to, to, to be a part of it. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'm delighted to have you on the show. So Michael. Well, uh, I want to thank you for the opportunity to participate in your program. Uh, my background is pretty um, diverse uh, from um, private practice to uh, 23 years with uh, the federal government, United States Public Health Service, uh, Dean of the Veterinary College at the University of Tennessee. And uh, of course, uh, serving right now as chair of the Adverse um, Access to Veterinary Care Coalition. Uh, I think uh, as I look at my entire career, it has brought me to this important issue and uh, we're very much thrilled to to be working on it. So thank you for the opportunity to share what we're doing with your audience. Great, thank you for joining us and welcome back to the show. So we do apparently have a few live viewers today. If you have a question, you can certainly drop us a question live at diversity matters at uh, diversity matters at 
aavmc.org if you have a question for our guest today, or you can drop a question um, on our Facebook page, which is Diversity and Inclusion on Air um, at AAVMC. So why don't we get started? Um, what exactly is the Access to Veterinary Care Coalition? Uh, we are a, a diverse group, actually, of for-profit and nonprofit veterinary service providers, uh, animal welfare and social services professionals, and educators like yourself um, in the education field who have come together to um, address this pressing uh, national crisis. Uh, the coalition is driven by um, an understanding that lack of access to veterinary care has is affecting a very large number of families and their pets in our in our country. And for your program and your focus, uh, it happens to be the largest or the biggest diversity issue for veterinary medicine. We're not as diverse in whom we serve as we need to be. And consequently, one in three, approximately one in three dogs and cats live in families that rely on uh, public assistance uh, or some other form of support. And we like to point out uh, that the majority of these folks are contributing members of society. We have a large uh, number of working poor families, many of, um, of which work in service industries, including veterinary medicine and sheltering. So even for the organizations that are dedicated to, to working with animals, um, many of their employees uh, or some of their employees need public assistance because of, of the wages that they receive. So uh, we wanna get that out there right off the bat because um, I guess the, the other way to put it, uh, the people most affected are not uh, all slackers, but in fact, uh, people who deserve um, attention to their needs in this arena. You know, uh, some say uh, that if a person or a family cannot afford veterinary care, that they probably shouldn't have a pet. And um, given all the logic around that, the reality is that pets provide benefits to humans from protection to companionship, uh, to comfort. And uh, in the case of therapy, uh, pets, uh, different forms of assistance. And so it's very untenable to think that we're going to deny these families the companionship with pets, which means they will remain in our communities. And so our coalition is dedicated to the premise that we have to figure out a way to provide care to these pets. Sure, sure. I mean, I think that we hear a lot. Um, I was just at a, well, our conference at AAVMC um, recently, and, you know, we were talking about how 
um, to teach veterinary students to kind of be mindful and, and thoughtful about how they um, view the clients that they come into contact with in, in a myriad of settings, right? And so a lot of times it's, well, gee, if you're at a low cost clinic, it must be because you can't afford care and maybe you really shouldn't have this animal, right? And, and that there's kind of a, a lot of judgment associated with um, owning an animal when you have challenges, particularly resource challenges in terms of accessing medical care. But these are also some of the same issues that we see in human health, right? We can't just say, gee, you shouldn't have grandma because, right. <laughs> well, because you know, you can't take grandma to the doctor. <laughs> yes, that, that's correct. Um, it, it becomes very, very difficult to start to um, dictate whether people can have children or family members that are non-human in the case of these pets. And so they're with us and we can figure out a way to better reach them. Sure. So can we talk about what are some of the reasons animal owners have problems accessing care? I think that certainly most people would immediately think about financial reasons why, you know, it's difficult to access care, but um, I'm guessing that there are lots of other reasons why people might have challenges um, getting care for their animals. Can we talk a little bit about what some of those reasons might be? Sure. Um, well, we know this is a social economic problem. And although we believe that one of the major reasons that families are not able to receive care for their pets is financial, there's others. So there may be things like physical limitations of the pet owner. So mm -hmm. it might be someone who's disabled or elderly. It could be geographical, meaning that um, they're unable to get transportation to get to the veterinary clinic. Or it could be they're in an area where there aren't a lot of uh, veterinary service providers there. Mm -hmm. It's something that we call service deserts. It could be uh, educational or knowledge, meaning the pet owner isn't aware of, of the kind of care that's available or what options are there. Um, it could be a, a cultural or social, meaning that there might be a language barrier. It can even be animal related. So you might have a pet who is very difficult to transport or difficult to get, which many uh, cat owners will agree to, to be able to transport them to the veterinary clinic. So it's, it's quite diverse. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, these, and these barriers can be situational. They can be occasional. They can be constant. But we do believe that they're all there is they're related to some level of, of some socioeconomic level. Sure, sure. So so what's being done um, about increasing access? This is um, not a new issue. So um, why now and 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 what's being done? Well, um, first of all, I'd like to to acknowledge that um, more and more people are becoming aware of, of this crisis. As the coalition became aware of it and started our work, we were very fortunate to uh, receive a generous uh, contribution from Maddie's Fund to conduct a national population study. Uh, that study is still underway as we speak. Uh, we are surveying pet owners to learn about barriers that they face. Those that uh, Dr. Kressbach just mentioned uh, are what we anticipate we'll measure, but we want 
to actually find out what, what the facts are. Uh, <clears throat> we have just initiated the survey for veterinary service providers, the veterinarians who are either in private practices or work for nonprofit organizations providing services uh, for pets. And uh, that survey will be open for uh, another 30 days uh, or, or more. And we certainly encourage veterinarians to go online and, and take uh, the survey. They can find out information from our website mm -hmm. if, um, in order to do so. Um, with the providers, they have barriers as well. And we want to learn what those are because we know a lot of veterinarians want to reach these pets, but again, face certain barriers. This uh, work will be reported out to the world uh, by the end of the year. In that report, we will not only cover our findings from the national study, but we're going to add a few other perspectives on this national issue. That's the thing that's going on right now that uh, we're very excited about. Now, with some support from the College of Social Work at the University of Tennessee, we've been able to set up the program for pet health equity. And that program was set up specifically to continue the work of the coalition. And what is that work? What's most important to be done? Implementing strategies that will in fact bring care to these underserved families. That's the short version of what we're doing right now. So so let me be um, let me make sure that I got this right. So there's a survey that's going out that's out to pet owners. Right? Yes, and that that actually that data collection has actually ended. Okay. Uh, because we hit our targets as far as uh, the number of uh, respondents we needed. And that's really to kind of um, really understand what those barriers to care are. Yes. Um, from the potential client perspective, right? And then um, the survey that's currently out is to practitioners. Yes. Yeah. And that's really kind of to help understand um, what they see as big barriers um, and, and, um, Give us a little bit more barriers to care, barriers to offering care to various communities. It's that's part of the survey. Another important part, however, is to learn what they are doing to try to reach these uh, families, these patients. For example, we know that many veterinarians, the vast majority, uh, are regularly confronted with um, clients that are unable to pay for services. It's historic that veterinarians will find ways to try to help by cutting the fees a bit or not doing certain treatment options. Um, some have set up um, Good Samaritan accounts, if you would, angel fund accounts. So we know that a number of things are being uh, done and we want to learn about those as well. Okay, great. So, so in kind of creating some of those options, what are some of those challenges? I mean, and I think that um, I'm a member of the coalition and, and have been involved um, since the beginning of the project. And, 
you know, some of the things that we talked about and kind of exploring things that that uh, practices are doing and individual practitioners are doing things like means testing um, and um, yes, these Good Samaritan accounts and, and all of these kinds of things. And, um, you know, there's those things are great in terms of potentially creating access on the social side, though, there's a bit of a rub um, for the social science, some of the social scientists in the room. Um, there's a bit of a rub because um, there is a required demonstration of poverty or lack of resources, which makes people potentially actually resistant to getting <laughs> to getting into some of the programs that that are necessary to actually access care. Um, um, you know. Can we talk a little bit about some of these challenges? I mean, this is this is not, you know, I think again, this is not unique to veterinary medicine. I think that these are, um, you know, those larger, as Susan was mentioning earlier, larger socioeconomic challenges. I think that we're all facing. Uh, I I would say that first of all, this issue, lack of access to veterinary care, is in fact clearly one uh, of the one reflection on society as it stands today in the United States. And that is that we have a very large, poor uh, cohort of Americans. And as I mentioned a moment ago, they're not poor because they don't want to work. Uh, there are many factors that drive that. Once you're in that struggling class, that struggling family mm -hmm. part of our society, then yes, you are unable to uh, do a lot of things. For example, some need assistance just to eat. So um, food stamp program, uh, the food stamp program is very, very important. The same with Medicaid as healthcare on the human side. And interestingly, there is no such consistent program for the non-human members of the family. And so uh, we very much intend to build something that would capture, provide care for the non-human members. This work is going to happen in the face of competing priorities that communities have. But we believe there are many people who care enough about the animals in our society that we will find solutions and um, provide services to these families. I do want to touch on one other point you made. Uh, it's about, you mentioned the term means testing. Mm -hmm. It's been a very contentious part of this whole issue. And for those who, who may not have been in, uh, in one of these conversations, um, nonprofit organizations uh, increasingly are expanding their services to care for pets and families that can't afford private veterinary care. And most veterinarians are okay with that, but they become very concerned, many become very concerned if they believe those programs are actually taking their clients. Mm. And the concept is these programs either receive subsidies or they have other um, tax benefits, if you would, that make them unfair competition. 
Now we plan to discuss this in our report at the end of the year because we think this is an important uh, concern. And um, I think what we'll, we'll be reporting out at the end of the year by doing a comparison of the two approaches, the nonprofits don't have a particular advantage and they by and large are serving people that cannot afford private mm-hmm. veterinary care. Sure, sure. Um, Susan, early at the top of the show, you mentioned um, a, a number um, kind of, of, of pets and families who aren't getting, aren't able to access care. Um, if you could delve into that a little bit and, and where does that number come from? Sure. So what we've done is uh, we, we've taken uh, some estimates. So this is all estimated. So we've taken information from the association uh, or the American Veterinary Medical Association on the number of pets in, in each household. We, we've taken um, the data from the government as far as how many people are on, on food stamps or, or the SNAP program. And then we, so we take that total and we multiply it by the number of, uh, of animals that are in, in a household, and then we're able to come up with that, uh, you know, with with an estimate of the number of pets that are in poverty using those, primarily those two um, sources of data. Mm-hmm. And and so it is something, and I, it, if it would be helpful, is it something that I can share my screen? Are you able to sure. can demonstrate it? Okay. So let me pull it up, Lisa, because visually, I think it makes a lot more sense um, to see it. And, and we've actually come up with an image that, that helps out with this. So let me pull this up real quick. Um, hold on just a second. To go back here, pull it up, get the latest version. <laughs> there you go. Just it's actually in a PowerPoint presentation, so I'm just yeah. booting it up right now. Sure. And I'll go down to it here. And if you move your cursor, there's like a little green screen share button. Okay. To the left. So when you're ready, just share your screen. Okay. I have to go back. So what was that number again? That estimated number? Twenty-five million. Wow. And where is the screen share? I'm sorry. So if you uh, look at the, um, uh, if you move your cursor over the screen, there's like a little green button on the left. On the left. Oh, okay. All right. You see it? Got it. Got it. Yeah. I was looking in the wrong place. Okay. No worries. Okay. So let me pull it up here. Can you see it now? Yes, you can. Okay. Okay. There we go. So the estimate again. So we start out with the number of households that are part of the SNAP program or the food stamp program that um, was collected back in October 2017. So you can see that's close to 21 million. And then we take the estimates of the number of, of pets that are in household. We're looking here just at dogs and cats. So that's something that we should point out here. It's just dogs and cats. So it doesn't include things like rabbits or ger- gerbils or things like that. And that number comes from the AVMA. Mm-hmm. So, so then we go ahead and we estimate the number so that, you know, here is a little bit oh, close to 14 million SNAP households with a dog or cat. And then you take the average again from the AVMA of the number of dogs and cats per household. And that's a, a close to two. So that's where we come up with this figure of wow. a little, uh, um, over 25 million. 
almost 26 million animals. And and the estimate, so so a couple of things to be aware of is it does not include, like I said, only includes dogs and cats. It's assumed that the majority do not have access to any kind of care. Um, and that, you know, or they have, you know, they have very limited options. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it's, it's actually probably a low estimate. Mm -hmm. um, but even so, uh, even at a low estimate, when I see that number, Lisa, that, that just bowled me over. And this, yeah. back in 2015, it was estimated to be 23 million. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's something that it, when I, we think about that many pets who are going without care and the impact it has on their people. And not only their people, but the veterinarians that are trying to serve them. Yeah. Um, it's just multifold. And so that made me even more, more, my desire to be involved in this particular issue became stronger sure. because we're talking about, we're talking about the animals. We're talking about their people. We're talking about the veterinarians that want to serve them. And that's a huge population. That is a huge population. I mean, it has, I mean, huge public health ramifications as well. Because, you know, and, and oftentimes people say, well, it's not just about zoonotic diseases and things like that. We're talking about mental health, even more importantly. Sure. And and I know that um, I work uh, with Whiskers, which I think you're familiar with, with Dr. William Gillis. I volunteer there and, and there's, uh, I do that once a month. And the, the and so these are um, uh, it's the services of providing uh, pets of the homeless, and and there's just I've heard so many wonderful stories that these pets mean so much uh, to them and all of us you know that that have pets, um, but I remember one one point when uh, a client that I was I was working with said it was when her cat walked in her life that she actually started taking better care of herself mm. because of because she needed to take care of her cat. Sure. So it's a it, it has huge um huge implications and and something that makes just more more inspired to be able to do more about it yeah i mean human i mean just the the, the wellness component is um for folks that that know me you know i have a, a cute little terrier who greets me every day and i live for mm -hmm. the fact that he thinks that i hung the sun and the moon um <laughs> but but you know that is is a very real kind of worrying about his, you know, whether or not he has what he needs in addition to any other member of my family. But then there's also just those day-to-day -day kind of things. I mean, when we talk about some of the public health and just kind of lifestyle issues, I'm not even talking about the big zoonotic, the, right. the big zoonotic things, air quote. I'm just talking about flea and tick prevention. Right, right. <laughs> that can really change a household. Yeah. Absolutely. And so and Dr. Green, you know, um, you know, some might wonder, well, where did this this monstrous problem come from? Uh, it seems to have come out of nowhere. Well, we first know that we've always had um, the poor amongst us. But what happened in 2008, mm. when we had the Great Recession, we saw then and have been seeing since many middle-class families falling out of the middle class and into the poor class. That has caused this whole problem to explode. Sure. Um, and when we look down the road and over the horizon for solutions to the national crisis, you know, the socioeconomic crisis, 
there's nothing that suggests this problem that is this growing poor class will go away anytime soon, which means then this set of circumstances will be with us indefinitely, which again begs for the need to address it. And going back to public health, yes, a big part of the concern is the mental emotional health uh, and the impacts upon the family. But from a disease control and prevention standpoint, it's not even safe at all for our nation to have tens of millions of pets throughout our communities where these pets don't have adequate health care because most infectious diseases that humans can get can be passed on from the animals. Not always pets, but they're certainly enough to be concerned about. So whether it's public health or it's mental emotional health, we really can't ignore this as a nation. It will do harm to the nation if we uh, don't um, solve this problem. Yeah. And I imagine, yeah, I mean, you bring up such a great point about the, the crash of, of 2008. And, um, you know, certainly I think that there's a, there is some, some really good data actually out there about, um, you know, homeowners who lost their homes and left their animals behind because they didn't feel like they really had any alternative. Um, shelters were full. They didn't, I mean, and even just the shame of having to relinquish an animal, right? Um, which kind of left so many animals just out um, and so many families who were able to keep their animals unable to access and provide the kind of quality of care, you know, the standard of care that they were as just as families accustomed to. Really well, interesting you mentioned shelters because, you know, we think in terms of the pet and impacts of lack of care on the pet. And what does that mean? Pretty much prolonged illnesses. Right. Um, and, and when pain is involved, it's prolonged pain. Uh, some are faced with premature death. And of course, all of this has a negative impact on, on the family. There are external impacts, however, as well. And one is on the sheltering community because many of these pets are relinquished because the family can't provide for their care at the time it's needed. And um, that increases the burden of the shelters to, to try and uh, address uh, pet issues within their communities. Another external impact, of course, is on the veterinarians. Um, we are, we talk to veterinarians all the time who clearly are impacted emotionally over the idea that they are being presented with patients and they have the knowledge and skills and the desire to help them, yet the barriers are there um, given the circumstances with the family. Mm. And then, of course, from the infectious disease standpoint, um, being able to prevent and control diseases. So, you know, everybody is a is a victim in this situation. It's the, the pet, the family, the veterinarians, the shelters, the community at large. Yeah, everyone suffers. 
So where do you see the work of the coalition going? Um, I, 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 um, Michael, you've already talked about how University of Tennessee at Knoxville has kind of set up a, um, the pet equity program, but what is the timeline for the projects for the coalition and, and um, how do you both see um, that work going on beyond that, that time frame? Yeah. Well, uh, I spend a fair amount of my time um, along with Susan uh, and others talking about how do we actually start to reach these families and these pets. And so the program for pet health equity is actually presently uh, developing one health strategies. They're one health because we believe that we, we can't adequately reach these pets in isolation of their families and their families' realities. Mm -hmm. And so for that reason, uh, we're located in the College of Social Work, not veterinary medicine. College of Social Work, because we're trying to address a societal issue and therefore need to work more collaboratively with social service professionals, uh, as well as public health professionals. So our approach is novel and novel in a true One Health sense by bringing an interprofessional team together. Part of that team is there focused upon the family and the family's needs. It's not a mission of the veterinarians, while another part of the team is focusing upon the needs of the non-human members of these families, the pets. We're excited about uh, what can be done. And uh, we, we hope that in the coming months, we're going to be able to share with the community at large uh, what we're trying to implement. Great. So in the meantime, so, so uh, I believe that the reports will be due out at the end of the year? Yes. Is that the timeline? It's correct. Great. And, um, and so then that work will continue on um, with the center. So um, in the meantime, what can folks do <laughs> to support the coalition? Well, the big, thing, yeah, the big thing right now is, uh, uh, you know, we're, as Dr. Blackwell talked about earlier, is this veterinary service provider survey. Right now, we have hundreds of veterinarians that have responded to it. We want it to be in the thousands okay. because we want to hear the veterinarian's voice. And, and all that information is available on our website, um, which is it just uh, avcc. Um, and I, this is terrible. Okay, I've got it right. avvc.utk.edu. Um, okay, and, and, and it's right there on, on the homepage. That, and it's a, it's a web-based survey that would take probably about 15 minutes to complete. Um, but it is something that, that uh, it would be the best thing that could do because we, we need to hear. So the other part of it is, is becoming better versed about what's going on. I mean, there's been, we try to keep, uh, keep people up to date on our Facebook page. Uh, we have actually a person who has dedicated her time to, to bringing, you know, if there's a, a, a certain type of alert that she wants the community to be aware of, 
So you can go ahead and also follow our Facebook page. Um, and that, because we have one for the coalition. Um, and Amy Wilsius, who is a certified veterinary technician, is responsible for, for making sure we get all the proper feeds and things like that. We've, we've been making that very, very active. So I think being educated about this issue. And then the other part, too, is then once we have the data, uh, which we believe is going to be pretty robust uh, from, the, uh, the, from the surveys that we've been doing and the report that we're putting together, is that's going to be coming at the end of the year. Being, again, education, being aware of the issue. And then the next step after that, as Dr. Blackwell talked about, is when we start implementing solutions. And we want to be creative about the solutions. Um, we need the feedback from veterinarians. So one of the things that we're going to be doing as part of our, our survey, or I'm sorry, our study, is we're going to be doing these virtual fo focus groups. We have, as of this morning, 111 veterinarians that have signed up for these, these, these uh, virtual focus groups to understand what are the better ways that we can provide care for these pets that are, be, uh, that are in need, that are being underserved, these families, really, that are being, they're underserved. Um, so we hope to come up with some really creative solutions to, to deal with this, this almost, a, almost a crisis situation and, and access to veterinary care. All right. So for our listeners, if you go to the AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air page, I have provided um, links to the Access to Veterinary Care Coalition's um, page, as well as um, the Coalition's page at the College of Social Work at University of Tennessee. So be sure to check those out. And that survey for practitioners, is that um, accessible through the, um, the Access page? It's, it's through the, the website? Yes. Nicole, yes, it's on the front page. All right, so, and when will the date for that um, survey close? Well, we, we don't know for sure. We don't have a hard date right now, Lisa, because we really want to get as an opportunity for veterinarians to, to share their, vo their, their voices. Um, we think it'll probably be within a month or so. Um, so that's why we don't want people to delay. Um, but we, we so we were hoping by the end of March, we'll, we'll get to the numbers that we want. Okay. And um, and then soon after that, we'll start doing the virtual um, focus groups of veterinarians. Great. So you heard it here, folks. If you're watching or listening, answer that survey. Get on it. Get on the get on that page. If you're a practitioner offering services, um, we need to hear from you. We need um, your participation to to help figure out um, solutions to this crisis. So be sure to log on to. The access to veterinary care uh, site and uh, click the link. And thank you for promoting that. Um, it, it, it's it, again having that kind of feedback from across the country, sure. from multiple different th thousands of veterinarians, is really going to going to help with this 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 crisis that we're in right now. And 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 I know that you were involved in the committee that provided feedback on on the actual um, survey itself. I'm really proud with what we came up with. Yeah. Um, it took a lot. We took almost a year putting it together, um, and and it was taking on what's called a CAP survey model format. And CAP stands for Knowledge, Attitudes, and Practices. So we really want to understand what are the veterinarians' knowledge about access to veterinary care. What's their attitude about it? And what kind of practices are they providing? And the more information we can get, the the more the more robust our study will be, and the information that we're providing to 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 really to the country. Indeed. So you heard it here. We worked really, really hard for the last year. Don't make our work be in vain. 
I am all about shameless promotion on this <laughs> show. <laughs> Utterly and completely shameless. Don't make our work be in vain. Please go and take the survey. We will post links um, um, for uh, the next few weeks on the Facebook page. Um, and certainly um, we'll be promoting this podcast, um, which the audio version will be available soon as well. Wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you. So as we get ready to wrap up our show, what are other things that um, you um, you all want the veterinary public and, and even some of the, we, we have a lot of pre-veterinary students that also um, watch and listen to the show who may not have really thought about this issue. What would you want them to know? Well, uh, <clears throat> this is a complex societal challenge. And like most complex societal challenges, it takes community-based actions, which means people within communities across the country to, to fix them, to bring about and positive change. And so we really encourage people to think about finding ways to, to support efforts within their communities to reach these families. Uh, as far as the veterinary profession is concerned, we are at a particularly challenging point in that our industry has largely been shaped by serving middle-class Americans. And um, we need the capability that has been built over the years because there are still millions of families who want and can afford advanced veter veterinary care. However, we have to make some changes in our industry mm -hmm. so that it's more diverse in whom it serves, that we build forward the capability to reach that part of our society that is currently not being served. And it's going to take a lot of great bright ideas. And so we just ask people to be thinking through and reach out to us as they think through uh, how we might go about solving this problem. We'd love to hear hear from you and our contact information has been given again, I'll say it. It's the Access to Veterinary Care Coalition. Our website is av, as in victory, cc.utk.edu. All right, avcc.utk.edu. Yes. All right. Um, Susan, anything else to add? Well, one of the things I, I, I want to, um, again, thank you for, for having us be part of your program. This is an issue we can solve. We have to be creative. Um, and we have, to, we have to have voices from across the nation. I don't believe we can continue at the pace that we're going and, and turning our back to, to all these pets and their families and or their people who are, are, are not receiving the kind of care. So I believe that there is some level of care we can provide and we can do a better job than we have. Now, I, 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 I've been so amazed with, with people like yourself, Lisa, and, and, and you know, other, others on the coalition and their vision and, um, and their enthusiasm 
I know that we can bring this together, but it is going to take, it's going to take a community as Dr. Blackwell pointed out, we are going to have to have community-based solutions to really make it effective, sustainable care. So, but I, I know it can be a little overwhelming when you see that 25 million and I get it because I, that's kind of what, when I, when I first became aware of it, but I also, after working with the coalition and all that, the, that we're doing and working on that, we're going to have evidence-based solutions to how we can deal with these issues. I feel very inspired and encouraged that we'll be able to reach that point. All right. Thank you. Thank you both for uh, joining us. So um, again, if you are interested in the work of the coalition, be sure to check out um, the group's website and Facebook page um, and stay tuned um, for the reports that will be forthcoming from the coalition later this year. Um, if you are a practitioner, get on and uh, fill out that survey. Do it today. Don't delay. Share it with a friend. Um, again, shameless promotion. <laughs> so um, we we really want to get as much input as possible so that we have good quality data um, from which we can uh, make good decisions about how to increase access to care. And for um, applicants who are currently in the application system um, or in that process, getting ready to make decisions, um, as well as applicants who are kind of getting ready to apply uh, later this year. This is a, definitely an area of the profession that we encourage you to take a look at and learn more about. So um, we really strongly encourage you to also visit the sites um, and learn more about um, what uh, types of things you can really contribute to the future of the veterinary profession. So with that, I will thank both of my guests, um, Dr. Michael Blackwell and Dr. Susan Krebsbaugh, um, from the Access to Veterinary Care Coalition for joining me on today's show. So um, again, don't delay in uh, taking the opportunity to learn more about the coalition and completing, if you're a practitioner, completing that survey. So um, we will end the show today. Thank you again for both of you. Thank you. Have a great time. Thank Appreciate you, Dr. Greenhill. All right, thank you. And uh, for everyone uh, viewing and listening, we will chat with you next time. Take care. Bye. Thank you.